Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Carrie Clack, columnist editorial board member. Nancy Prayer Johnson, deputy editor of the editorial board. Uh, we got through it. That was what was it take four? <laughs> we got through the, the intro. Um, so um, we're really uh, happy today. We have a special guest, uh, State Senator Roland Gutierrez. He's a state senator. He's been a state representative. He's been a San Antonio City Council member, uh, a proud San Antonian, and he is also currently a candidate in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senator, the seat held by Ted Cruz. And we've got so much to talk with him about. Thank you so much for being with us. Senator. Thank you so much, Gilbert. Thank you, everybody. Um, I guess my first question is, uh, we all know that, uh, you know, Uvalde is part of your Senate district, and we know what an impact the May 24th, 2022 school shooting at Robb Elementary had on you. And um, we've heard you, t- you talk about it um, a lot over these past 14 months or so. Um and I, I, I'm sure that that figures into what what you're what you're doing now in your campaign now. But I wonder if there was a, a particular moment, if you had a moment where you thought, "This is something that I have to do." Um, well, first off, thank you again uh, for having me. I, Uvalde for me it was just a place that um, you know every time I look at these photos behind me and mm-hmm. and, and think about my, those moments. It's just it's something that I had to struggle with because I've just been stuck there for quite some time. And uh, I was recently telling some of the parents and it's a feeling that outsiders that were engaged in it for this length of time, because no one can ever, ever ask these families to to, you know, to get over this. I mean, they're dealing with so much stuff and I hear it so often from people. When are they going to get over it? How are you going to tell a parent that? They're going to deal with this grief for their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And for those of us that were on the periphery and a lot of people in journalism that were there, we were there every day. And it was just, it wasn't just the story of this horrible tragedy that ended in 12 minutes. It ended in 77 minutes. And it was the constant failure that you saw in lies and obfuscation from government and the, the governor. Uh, the attorney general, certainly Steve McCraw, it was failure after failure that lasted months on end. It was, you know, 60 days in, we hear another lie. Mm-hmm. We hear a lie that, you know, this guy could have been gunned down by the local cops when in actuality it was the PE coach was the rest of that statement. So Uvalde for me was just this place I got stuck in and, and you know, mentally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it still is. And I still get uh, choked up about seeing them and seeing their children. And, you know, the wonder of Facebook, you see the children's videos and you see them when they're alive. And, and sadly, after I signed the non-disclosure agreement, I've seen them dead. And uh, there's an image that I see every night and every day. And it's the face of a little girl with her, with her face gone. There is no face. It's just a carnage that you can't understand and, and, and can't fathom and your brain doesn't process very well. And I remember the moment that I saw that image, my uh, general counsel said, hey, you need to hold on because you need to just brace yourself because you're about to see a little girl with no face. And so all of that has caused uh, a lot of angst. I, I don't know how else to put it, a lot of anger. And and was launching this campaign, was it part of your way of, of, of taking that anger, the frustration, all the all the emotions you've had for these past fourteen months, and feeling like this is I'm going to channel it into something. In the, this is the most positive direction I can go with it. Yeah, I think that 
initially for me, I mean, this, our campaign has not been about ambition of any sort. You know, my wife and I were thinking about, you know, leaving politics altogether because it just always was a tremendous stumbling block in Austin. Couldn't get, you know, a whole lot done, even though we have done a few things. Glad to talk about those later. But the idea was, um, this has just been one more compulsion. It just seemed like in this last year and a half, whether you believe in God, fate, or the universe, or karma, like things were being put in front of me, like messages were being put in front of me. And I felt compelled to do this because, and certainly the anger. Mm -hmm. I feel like Uvalde is not just a story of tragedy, it's a story of government failure at every level. Mm -hmm. And when you start to expand that and look at the failure of how 800 people died when it got cold for five days in Texas, that's extreme governmental failure. You look at the failure of a governor who had been asked for money. You guys, I think, talked about that story in the past about how $5 million was requested from his office to fix the radios. That's failure. Everything that you saw in Uvalde is neglect, and neglect is failure. Well, that, that gets to something that, I, that I've been really interested in, which is, you know, you've talked about, you know, the failure of the legislature to enact gun reforms, and you were really pushing hard for gun reforms during this year's legislative session. You've talked about the instability of the power grid, which we saw with the 2021 freeze, uh, Operation Lone Star, and what Greg Abbott is doing on the border, and some of the really hum inhumane things, which we've, we've talked about on, on, on the podcast. Um, the failure to, or stubborn unwillingness on the part of Texas Republicans to uh, enact Medicaid expansion. What I'm curious about is a lot of these things are things that are uh, state issues. How do you how do you take that um, and sort of pivot into into a campaign where you're you're running for U.S. Senate and you make that case against Ted Cruz? I mean that's fair. I mean look, let's talk about immigration first yeah, off because sure. that's his favorite topic and it's part of their lie, right? The big lie in Texas. You know they like to talk about the big lie. Well, the big lie for me with them is that. These immigrants or this immigrant horde is coming across mm -hmm. the border and bringing fentanyl on their backs. And that is somehow the cause of all of our failures on healthcare, on education, on infrastructure, on, on anything, you name it. It's their fault. But those immigrants don't have anything to do with those other issues. But if you want to just take immigration and, and stand on the border and yell about it, that's one thing. That's Ted Cruz's solution, I guess, covered with the Abbott plan of torturing people. I mean, I guess that's it. But let's solve it. Mm -hmm. Let's take an immigration program uh, out of country to countries of origin and coupled with the Department of Labor, have a jobs program where we need, you know, a million people in the hospitality industry. We need two million people right. in the agricultural industry. We need another two million in, in construction because they're there. We have an aging we, population. We don't have enough workers. Yeah, We don't have enough workers. And they want to work. They absolutely want to work. Yeah. And so we, so when you, when you get the politics out of the thing and you just look at our needs, we can create, all of us at this table, an immigration program that works. But no one in Congress seems to want to do that. This is my day job. I'm an immigration lawyer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got solutions and we, we got to try to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about fixing our broken H2A program where every farmer and rancher wants that fixed. Yeah. This guy, this governor, is sending people up to Washington and New York. They're two months away from getting a work visa. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. processed immigrants. So Ted Cruz doesn't do anything to try to fix this problem. And he can. He absolutely can. Um, one of the things that uh, 
that you talked about too, which I, I think was was an interesting thing, is the the Senate filibuster. And you've been you've said that you would, you would work to uh, eliminate the Senate filibuster, which I think has been a big frustration for Democrats, and it's basically blocked Democrats from um, codifying uh, abortion rights. It's it's uh, blocked Democrats from doing anything major on election reform and things like that. And and I think there's been a lot of frustration over the years that it's really hard to get anything done in the U.S. Senate with the filibuster. Of course, there's also the possibility that Republicans could take control of the Senate in 2024 and, and, you know, it could work the other way. I guess when you when you look at that, do, would you have concerns about um, the possibility that it could be um, could enable Republicans to do some things that you might not want them to do? down the line. Well, listen, I mean, we've got to codify Roe versus Wade one way or another. Yeah. I mean, we've got to be able to fix this situation because here in Texas, we've taken any kind of reproductive rights away from women, you know, just wholesale. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you've seen the infant mortality rate rise just in this first year. And so it's, it's all right there in front of us. And so when you talk about the filibuster, I mean, we have to understand that, you know, we are here in Texas and we have 26 million people or so. Um, Montana's got a few, a couple million. You know, Wyoming's got a couple, three million, four million. So the numbers just don't add up. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so we need to have a, a real discussion about how, you know, we're not going to change that piece of it. They're going to contain and maintain their two senators, and that's not going to change. Mm. But we have to absolutely have this discussion about the filibuster into the future because you're never going to be able to peel off from some of those very red states, those two senators and those states' populations is abysmal. And so we need to have a discussion on it for sure. Well, and the, the, the fact is, I mean, I think it was it was 10 years ago um, that we after I think it was after Sandy Hook that we had maybe 55 senators who were willing, supportive of, of gun reform mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the filibuster essentially blocked. That. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was, you know, the, the majority was really kind of stymied by that. There are some seminal issues in this country that I think that the vast majority of the population is in favor of. Mm -hmm. And so we have to figure a way to get through this impasse. And when it comes to reproductive rights, a vast majority of people are in favor of creating some kind of codified change, if you will, whatever that is. When it comes to gun reform, you saw 66% of Republicans in Texas wanted to see extreme risk protective orders, closing the gun show loophole, raising the age. I mean, do something for Christ's sake. I mean, they could have done a Safer Communities Act with those three elements in place and not even had a bump in the road, but Guys in the Senate, even people like Jen, John Cornyn, even though he voted for it, fought back against those important issues. Mm -hmm. Listen, if we had a, a, a higher age limit on access to this type of weapon, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation. The easiest thing for either you or Congressman Allred, whoever is the nominee, yeah. is to distinguish yourselves from Senator Cruz. The harder part is how do you distinguish yourself from each other? I mean, that's fair. I mean, listen, I think that Colin is a nice man uh, from every bit that I've heard from him. I mean, I've talked to him on one occasion. Uh, I think that his policy position, I think, is a little bit different right now. I mean, he's playing a little bit more moderate game. And, I'm, you know, I'm a lot more progressive, I think, on some issues. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. You know, we're going to continue to do what we've always been, which is fight for people. I mean, you're right. I mean, we're both Democrats. And I think we both believe in the same things. I think he has a different constituency than I do. And so that might limit, you know, what his positions are. 
you know, he likes to talk a lot about bipartisanship, and that's important for sure. Uh, I work in a place where bipartisanship doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the Texas Capitol. I mean, that's nonsense. And so I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and settle for anybody's scraps because we as Texans deserve so much more than that. Uh, we will discuss, you know, real differences that we have with one another as to um, as to the facts. You know, I mean, I think that he's taken this stance that on, on, on paternity leave, which I think is very important and laudable. But at the end of the day, most women in Texas don't have maternity leave. Mm. So let's have a real discussion on that. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about the facts. I told Colin one thing. I said, look, we're going to have a respectable debate, you and I. We're going to talk about the differences where there are some. Mm. And when this is over, you'll endorse me or I'll endorse you. It's simple as that. Mm-hmm. We can't have a situation like Royce West and MJ Hagar. Mm-hmm. We've got to be able to not cut each other up as Democrats, be able to talk about policy difference like that one. And it's important because most women in Texas don't have maternity leave. That's a bill that needs to be filed. That's a bill that needs to be talked about. And it's simple to do. You know, figure out a credit for small businesses that where this doesn't apply to. Some kind of tax credit. Something to make that happen. That's something that we need to have a real discussion about in Texas. Let me think a discussion when I saw that you were running um – it's just something I, I can't get out of my head is after Uvalde, I thought things were for sure going to change. I mean, Beto was running and um, the elections were happening and, and nothing changed. Um, and so you're running on this platform of um, wanting change and, and saying that, you know, Texas has failed, but nothing back then changed. And um, I mean, it was highly disappointing. Um, I know a lot of the Uvalde families, I mean, I cried and were, you know, really, really upset and started doing the, um, you know, the Uvalde logo upside down and things like that, right? Uvalde strong upside down. I remember that's the first thing I saw from them after the election. And it was just, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say shocking. It was just so deeply disappointing because I felt like they felt and I believed as well that if anything would change um, the election outcome, it would be the huge failures that happened in Uvalde. So what can you say? Like, how are you going to get to the voters and try to make them see otherwise? Yeah, I I think that that's a fair question, but also an understanding of they went through their grief and then the the, the huge for several months of, you know, all of this obfuscation, all these lies. Mm -hmm. And you had uh, Javier Cáceres run for county commissioners and independent because he couldn't get on the ballot timely as a Democrat. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things make a difference, right? I mean, you have to be prepared to have this message. And I think, I don't think that that early on was, is, is fair to say, we're going to change Uvalde. Mm-hmm. And now you see Kim Rubio running, mm-hmm. you know, you see possibly the party chair, uh, Carlos Lopez running for Tracy King's seat. And we're going to have a real dis- conversation with people Uvalde, but all throughout rural Texas. You've, Uvalde itself, generally speaking, is a story of neglect. Mm-hmm. And neglect is a story, I said earlier, that it was, uh, it's a story of racism. It really is about people that call the shots in Austin, right? Mm -hmm. And decide who are the winners and losers, where the money goes. Mm -hmm. And it's really those people in that appropriations committee, mostly Republican on both sides. They get to decide who gets what. Mm -hmm. And for years on end, rural Texas has been screwed over. And we're going to have a real conversation 
with folks in rural Texas, and we're going to focus on where the votes come from, no doubt. But we will have a conversation in certain counties in rural Texas about exactly how they've been screwed over from government, how you deserve much more. This race isn't so much about partisan is, as in partisanship as it is populism. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at populism and where it started, it started about people talking about their individual pain. And what, you know, in Tennessee in the 1860s, you know, when people started talking to each other, well, your kid doesn't have shoes either. Yeah. Hmm. We have to talk about our pain more. And so Uvalde was absolutely, we just pain front and center. Mm-hmm. But I think all of us hurt and it hurt. It hurts when you can't make the bills on time. Mm-hmm. All of us do okay at this table. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. And yet they've been, many of them have been bamboozled by Republicans on this notion that oh, everything's great in Texas. Well, that's just nonsense. It's interesting that you're kind of, uh, I guess, reclaiming the, the 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 idea of populism, which I mean, some people attached it to to Donald Trump and some of his followers in recent years. But as you say, it's really rooted in look in the concerns of like everyday Americans, you know, working working class people, and and uh, you know, addressing looking at things through that prism. I mean, is, do you do you embrace that idea or that that for yourself? A million years ago, I sat down with your former, one of your former editors, and he says, uh, he says, you're just nothing but a populist. I said, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, people do need to take a look at Donald Trump, and even the Trumpers need to take a look at Donald Trump, because the guy that's telling them it's about populism and it's about your pain and such, they need to look at the fact that he's a billionaire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his policies during his administration benefited himself yeah. and people in his industry, the largest tax, one of the largest tax cuts in our country, who did it benefit most real estate moguls. Mm-hmm. And so people need to have a real honest conversation with themselves about Donald Trump. One of the things that was really interesting to me, I, I, I didn't know this till recently, I was reading about your, your father who was an immigrant from Mexico and how he, you, I think you described him as someone who was, uh, a John Kennedy Democrat who then uh, became a Reagan supporter later. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I think of the Reagan Republican Party versus now, I mean, obviously a lot's changed. There was some focus on social issues back then, but a lot of it was really about, you know, limited government and and low taxation and, uh, you know, and, and you know, you know, holding the line against the Soviet Union and that sort of thing. Now it's there's so much. And, and Ted Cruz, I think we'd all agree is like a kind of a prime example is so much focus on social issues against you know, the trans community, LGBT community, against critical race theory, so much focus on all these things. And um, as somebody who, you know, as you, as you had, a, you had a father who related to a, a certain brand of republicanism, at least during that period, what do you make of, of what's happened to the party over the years? Yeah. I mean, this is no longer the party of Ronald Reagan and it's no longer the Republican party of a guy like Joe Strauss. And it's, mm-hmm probably not the Republican Party of Fidencio Gutierrez anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, this bunch of haters, because uh, that's all I can say for them, are the party of no, you know? I mean, you've got a guy on Ted Cruz that wants to wail on, you know, Barbie in China as, like, as, as a real issue, wants to rail at Bud Light as a real issue. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, doesn't want to do the real things that we're supposed to do. I mean, when we were young kids, all of us at this table, um, our congresswoman or our congressman or our senator would come down and talk about things. Oh, I brought this money for this hospital, this roadway, this infrastructure piece. And it meant jobs. It meant everything to us was jobs. You know, our parents were working in those jobs, whether they were working at Kelly 
or is in my father, a door to door insurance salesman who had gone up in management. And, you know, many of those workers that he sold insurance to were Lackland employees and so on. And so you had uh, uh, we're in this space now there. These Republicans are no longer the business guys. They're absolutely I have no other word to say other than crazy because we're stuck in this space right now with people that are literally talking about Barbie and Bud Light, and they're not talking about serious issues that are affecting people back home, which is just basically paying the bills, getting your kids through college. There's no more opportunity anymore. They're, 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 they're fighting the president on a debt reconciliation for college, for, for, for college loans. I mean, you've got a situation right now which is completely upside down. And people that think they're Republicans, working class people, need to talk to themselves. They need to figure this out because this Republican Party doesn't have your back. This Republican Party doesn't care about your Social Security. They don't care about the price of eggs. They don't care about your health care. Imagine this. Working class families have an out-of-pocket medical expense of about $7,500 a year. I mean, how does that square for anybody? People are absolutely hurting at home and they need to understand we're going to have a discussion about our big lie. This is not a Texas miracle. It's the Texas nightmare. When we talk about La Mentira, mm. it's not going to be the telenovela La Mentira. <laughs> it's going to be Ted Cruz's Mentira to us all, right? Because that's where we are and we need to have a real discussion with all Texans on it, Republicans and Democrats. Is one of the challenges for you running for the Senate and, and Kim running for mayor of Uvalde, um, dismissing the notion that each of you are one issue candidates, because as you spoke about a few minutes ago, talking about the systemic inequalities of, of Uvalde, your campaign and her campaign is about more than that. that it, you know, this horrible tragedy is, is what propels her to the spotlight, what propels you to run, but the issue is, it's not just this one issue. It's, it's not just more guns. More than that. It's, it's not, not just more guns. Than guns. It's far more than guns. And this is about neglect. It is about disparities that people have. It's about, you know, uh, a lack of resources for people. I talked to a woman that is helping raise the money to build the new school. And she says, we had a parent panel. And, you know, we asked them, what do you want in this school? And we showed them the bathrooms. This is her telling me. We showed them the bathrooms of what it would, a schematic would look like. We took them to a new school somewhere in Texas. They said they had never seen anything like this. They didn't know that this is what they could have. Mm -hmm. And as you travel the United States and you go to different cities and you go to different places and you see states that spend $13,000 on a kid for school, for instance, mm -hmm. like Massachusetts, you, I think most Texans don't know what we could have. Mm -hmm. There was this great, you all remember, and I never met her and I wish I could have because she would have been a blast to hang out with a woman named Molly Ivins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She said one thing. Uh, I read this one. She said, Texas and Mississippi are a lot alike, both low tax, low service states. The only difference is Texas can afford to do so much better. Mm. That's the truth, man. Mm. We make more, more revenue, actual revenue than any state in this country next to California. We can do so much. But we have people that are just so small, so small. Mm. And we've got to. It's really about that guy in secession when he said, you're not serious people yeah. to his kids. People like Ted Cruz, he's not a serious person. 
There's serious problems. We're going to talk about those serious problems. Well, along those lines, um, after the 2020 election, Ted Cruz was one of the, the loudest voices on the Republican side, perpetuating what, what we call the big lie that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, agreed to uh, argue Ken Paxton's lawsuit challenging the election results. He agreed to argue those uh, that lawsuit in front of the Supreme Court. It, uh, it didn't end up, uh, they didn't end up hearing the case. Um, and he was one of the Republicans pushing to uh, for, to have Congress not certify the election results. And he was talking about an emergency audit that instead of certifying the election, he was basically talking about things that were really completely contrary to the way our system is supposed to work. Um, how much, I guess I would ask you, how much, how, how concerned you are about the threat that he is to our democratic system? Um, and how much do you plan to talk about that during the campaign? I mean, he's absolutely a threat in the notion that he is just out there, you know, speaking to his base, to this base of, you know, folks that just believe in this nonsense. The fact is there's so much more out there. And what we're truly going to talk about are the real serious issues that are affecting all of us. And certainly there's a tremendous threat to democracy in, in this guy's rhetoric. Mm -hmm. But, you know, folks don't have opportunity for their kids. They don't have uh, food to put on the table at times. They have trouble paying the bills. They have trouble paying the medical bills. And by the way, when it gets cold in Texas, our infrastructure goes down. Mm -hmm. This guy takes off to, well, goes on vacation. I mean, so we're going to have a real discussion on all of it. I mean, I certainly think that what we see from Cruz and Trump and others like him and DeSantis is all of it is a threat to democracy. We are I've seen fascism in the Texas Capitol. People need to wake up to what's happening in this country with this far right group like Ted Cruz. It is fascism, extreme nationalism, wrap yourself around the flag and yet do nothing to help us here at the bottom. Nothing. You're talking about state capital. I had to ask you because this this uh, kind of blew my mind when you recounted, um, I, I guess, a, a visit that you had with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, where you I guess you were in his office about an hour talking with him about Uvalde. And, and, uh, and I'm not sure exactly when this was, but just talking about everything that you had seen in the video and the, the, how this had affected you and how horrible this was. And he said something along the lines of, you know, Roland, this is why we don't watch the video. videos. Um, yeah, it was very early on. Um, he had pushed back a meeting about third week into the session. Mm -hmm. I said, we need to talk. We need to figure out what you guys are gonna do on this. Because all I've asked for is this one thing, raise an age limit. It seemed to me like that was the most obvious thing that you mm -hmm. could do in this space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't think we'd have this problem because, as you know, it's 21 to go off and have a handgun. So I figured we could raise the age, age limit on assault rifles. And in the end, like, like you've seen me do many, many times, I, I broke down. And it was a story about that little girl, the little girl with no face. And he, uh, and in the end, uh, after I, I got done and I was obviously choked up about it, he said, Roland, there's a reason we don't look at the videos. And I, I couldn't in my mind, I walked out of that. That was the last thing he said to me. I walked out of that room thinking to myself, my God, I mean, I can't say what I really thought mm -hmm. on TV here, but I walked out of that room thinking, my God, here you have the one of the top three people, most powerful people in this state, hasn't seen any of this stuff. 
prior to that, he argued to me about this failure. Oh, they didn't fail. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Pushing back on DPS. You know, DPS absolutely failed. Steve McCraw is an absolute tool, tool for Greg Abbott. And they failed those kids just like they're failing us on the border every day because mm. they don't know how to do that job. They're not immigration officers. There's no immigration policy in it. But here this top three guy telling me, we don't look at the evidence. We don't look at the failure. It's astounding to me that you have these guys that are leading this state and they refuse to look at the things that are glaring and staring right at you in the face. And you have to do it because we have to fix it. I had to look through hundreds of hours of videotape to see cops talking to themselves and philosophizing with themselves as to how this happens in America all the time. That was sad on one of those videos to see cops just walking around as if it was nothing not paying attention to their job, not really focused. Nobody, nobody wanting to make a decision. All of it. To see at the 76-minute mark, a guy named Joel Betancourt say, wait a minute, let's not go in yet. A captain with DPS telling the crew that's about to go in not to go in. Thank God they didn't hear him. Thank God the radios didn't work. Mm. Can you imagine? I mean, there we are. And so all of that, yeah, I mean, it's just astounding to me, Gilbert. I mean, it's astounding. Well, it almost feels like, and I think this is one of the problems with our political system. He basically thought, I don't want to see anything. I've, I've got my worldview here. I've got my, my set of ideas about how things work. And I don't want to see anything that might shake up, you know, the, that those, those ideas. And on a, another issue, I mean, I think we can all see evidence that climate change is real. It's getting pretty un unmistakable, even for people who've been deniers on that. But there, I think we see a lot of people who are immovable on this issue. And, and I wanted to ask you about that, too, because there's been a story going around that Ted Cruz is circulating a memo to try to strip uh, climate action funding from the budget. And, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of get your reaction on that. Yeah, I mean, let me go back to their world worldview, right? I mean, their worldview is based on fiction, right? It's based on, you know, this notion of being a cowboy. You go into Dan Patrick's outer office and he's got all this Alamo stuff in one of his conference rooms. And, you know, these people don't know the first thing about what being a cowboy is. They don't know what how, you know, Texans care for one another and how people should care about each other. And so going back to the climate issues, you know, like, like what Ted Cruz is trying to do and others like him. Uh, absolutely. Global warming is a real deal and we're seeing it. We also need to be honest with ourselves from a couple different perspectives. Uh, number one, I mean, China and India are the biggest actors in that space. And mm -hmm. so we absolutely as a nation need to lead. That said, we as a state are faced with a different dilemma, right? And that's the dilemma of jobs versus, mm -hmm. you know, how do we fix this thing? How do I tell some kid and Edinburgh, Texas, or some kid in uh, Pecos, Texas, mm. hey, you can't work in the Permian Basin, you can't work in Eagleford because we're gonna cut these jobs, so you're gonna go work at Sonic or McDonald's. 
And so you're not going to make $90,000 this year. You're going to make 24000 And so those are some real dilemmas that we need to make. And those are the real problems that we face going forward. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater in Texas. Texas is still leading the United States in oil and gas production. But what we can do, we're also leading in solar. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that better. Mm-hmm. And so we need to increase alternative fuels, alternative resources of fuel. Uh, unlike these Republicans that blame those same alternative resources for the winter storm, which was complete and utter nonsense. We all know that the electric plants and the gas plants froze, valves literally froze mm-hmm. because they didn't winterize properly. And so um, we have a tremendous a lot of work to do in this space. I think that we need to lead, we need to continue to lead so that we have those jobs, but we need to enhance our alternative fuel resources and we can do that. But we as a state aren't even spending the resources necessary. Our federal partners, our federal senators aren't finding opportunities through infrastructure to be able to bolster these new technologies. You look at Ted Cruz, he voted against the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. It was $66 billion of jobs for Texas. I mean, imagine the economic multiplier on 66 billion, probably 500 billion, who knows, mm. of disposable revenue and jobs and opportunity for all Texans. Now he wants to be Mr. Bipartisan, but when he had the chance of doing something so big for us, he was a no vote. When he had a chance of uh, voting for the, um, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, he voted no, because I guess he would rather have a destabilized economy than a stabilized economy. He, he votes against Safer Communities Act. This guy has done everything in his power to be Dr. No. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, he has hurt working class Texans and working class Republicans. Working class Republicans need to wake up. You need to wake up because Ted Cruz doesn't care about you. And if you care about Barbie so much and Bud Light, well, then you've got a real problem. My father used to tell me I'd come home and I'd say, hey, dad, you know, Johnny's got this new pair of shoes or Johnny's got this new, you know, these new cool pants, parachute pants. <laughs> and he, and he, you know, you remember those? Yeah. Hammer. <laughs> and I wanted, and I wanted some parachute pants. And he says, well, look, um, Johnny doesn't pay my bills. He doesn't pay your bills. Yeah. And so you're lucky to, this, this is what people need to understand stand right now when you've got Trump and DeSantis and Cruz telling them about this nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, and the transgender kids and the Black Lives Matter stuff and all of it. Mm-hmm. Say, worry about yourself. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do for yourself and what are you going to do for this country? It is about what John Kennedy said, right? Mm-hmm. It is about what are you going to do for this country? There's some of that here, but it's also about what this country is going to do for you. But Ted Cruz would have you look at this other fuzzy animal over here mm-hmm. and talk about immigrants and Barbie and Bud Light and say, these are the bad things that are happening to us. And I'm going to say it now. I'm sorry. But all that's just bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's just bullshit. And we deserve so much more from government. I'll give you one last quote. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln said that the legitimate object of government is to do for the people that which they cannot do for themselves, like education, like transportation, like electricity, the the important big stuff, public safety, the big stuff. We this campaign is about bringing back some common sense to us all and say government owes us more than that crap. It owes us real deliverables, real stuff. And Ted Cruz owes us real stuff. 
I think that all Texans have paid him far too much to blather on about nonsense. Well, on that note, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up. Roland Gutierrez, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. Thanks uh, to everyone listening in, and uh, we'll be back with you next week. Take care. <laughs>